Hello, I'm Amy Stevenson and this is The Human CEO. In each episode, we'll be meeting with CEOs and senior leaders to understand their approach to leadership, the challenges they faced and how they overcame them. We'll also be asking what they feel it takes to be a great leader. Constantly learning, being accountable, getting people involved in what you're doing, taking calculated risks, but being strategic. Also, uh, to listen and to, be, I think, be open to people keeping you in line. Welcome to The Human CEO. I'm your host, Amy Stevenson, and today I'm joined by John Pepin. John is the CEO of Philanthropy Impact, an organisation whose mission is to increase philanthropic giving, social investment, and to encourage impact investment. John joined the business in 2014 after spending 15 years as the chief exec of a variety of Canadian charities, social enterprises, and associations. With over 20 years' experience as a social entrepreneurial consultant, John joins us today to share his insight as a leader and a human CEO. Thank you for joining us today, John. It's really good to have you with us. Hi, nice to be here, I think. Yeah, you think, you think, you're nervous. Hopefully not. So can you tell us a little bit about the organisation that you lead, please, John? Oh, sure, okay. Um, Philanthropy Impact is um, a, a charity whose sole purpose is to increase philanthropic giving, social investment, and impact investing, or ESG investing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we focus... Uh, uh, we uniquely focus on professional advisors to high net worth and ultra high net worth individuals. So it uh, could be uh, uh, private banks, uh, wealth advisors, uh, tax people, uh, legal, etc. cetera. Uh, but we also, as part of the network, uh, philanthropists, impact investors, trust foundations, and charities. We want people to sort of talk to each other and learn from each other. Mm-hmm. So that's what our, our purpose is. Fantastic. And as the leader of that kind of organisation, then, what kind of challenges are you up against at the moment? Well, it's a difficult time with COVID because it's, uh, having face-to-face um, uh, meetings is pretty difficult. Uh, we uh, used to run about 20 to 25 events a year, which were really popular. They allowed for networking opportunities for uh, participants, etc. And so we can't run those anymore. So we're on webinars. And of course, people... People are getting webinar fatigued. Uh, the numbers are dropping a bit. We run the Walk in My Shoes, um, which is uh, really uh, was really quite popular, uh, but it's still not quite the same as uh, meeting people in a room over a glass of wine or something like that. So that's one of the issues. Mm-hmm. Um, the other issue is when we work with professional advisors. Uh, when we did our research quite a while ago, um, we looked at the top 383 firms in the UK and we did 503 internet interviews with wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And what we found was with the wealthy people that um, they wanted more support from their advisors on their donor journey, for example. So I'm going to use the word donor or philanthropy, but it could also include social investment, impact investment. But they wanted more support. And uh, they basically said they weren't getting it, and they rated what they got 5.9 out of 10, which is extremely low for advisors. Uh, So, uh, And then when we looked at the advisory firms, we found that about only about 15 or 20 percent were actually mentioning the word philanthropy with their clients. So, for example, so our goal is to change the culture and the behavior of the advisory marketplace 
And uh, so it's a very ambitious goal. And we're slowly getting there. Um, uh, so there's been an increase in in a uh, number of advisors who are supporting their clients in their donor journey. And clients are asking for more and more, especially millennials and women of wealth. Mm-hmm. Um, the other challenge is that before COVID, the medium gift in, uh, in the UK from uh, high net worth, ultra high net worth was about 4,000 pounds. So that meant that uh, less than uh, half or half of the wealthiest people in the country are giving away in donations less than 4,000. Um, so the challenge is to change that. Now, COVID, is, we think, has changed that a bit, but the challenge will be now maintaining that and growing that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other challenge is, of course, finding staff. Uh, it's not exactly the easiest time to recruit and find people, um, and um, which is good on one hand for the people who are looking for a job, but as an employer, it gets a bit difficult. Yeah. And I guess the another challenge is um, the uh, uh, running an organization and everyone's morale keeping up and stuff because uh, the stress of working from home when you have a family, et cetera, et cetera, is not easy. So we we basically try to make sure that there's flexible time and stuff and, and their families uh, are more important. And so we try to respect that, that kind of thing. But people are working really hard and, and long hours to achieve what we uh, 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 need to achieve to uh, to get our yeah. our goal. Absolutely. And the other thing is, because of our sources of revenue were all cut off year ago, March, pretty well, um, it was really touch and go. And um, the uh, initial projections, worst case scenario, was that by the end of the year, we would be gone, that we would close. Um, which would be a real shame because I mean uh, I gave up my consultancy to take over the organization and it's brilliant what it tries to do and stuff but um, and it helps me fulfill my personal values and goals but um, so uh, basically um, you're going to ask a question about uh, uh, leadership and stuff but I started to hustle um, and, um, I hope you use that uh, take that word as in a positive way mm-hmm. uh, um, but anyway so you know we got people to donate and stuff and then we had a couple of unrestricted funds that came in that were quite big and so um, we um, are good until at least uh, 2023 uh, so it gives us a lot of time to get through this and recover yeah. Um, but so there's so there's a lot of stress. So at the beginning of COVID, it was like, how do we survive? And now we've moved on to thriving, growing, innovating, creating new approaches, et cetera, et cetera. So it's really, really, as you say, in Canada, really neat. Yeah, good to hear. Good to hear. And so your journey into leadership then, was that quite an organic process? You mentioned the consultancy. Were you always sort of headed for the chief exec seat or did you that happen by default? How did that come about i i had to uh uh pay my way uh through school and stuff not high school in canada at that time um in the um system that i was in uh part of the your fees for it Mm -hmm. so i think it's i'm going to go right back if that's okay so um at age eight um, we lived on the wrong side of the tracks you know and there weren't any uh allowances or anything Mm -hmm. like that 
So I created my first business, um, which was a um, recycling business. I'm using today's terms. Of course, we didn't have them then. Uh, so I, I went around from house to house for miles around the house, knocked on doors and asked for their copper coat hangers, and uh, and then took them to a local dry cleaner on our side of the tracks, who then looked after dry cleaning around the city and sold them for cash. And so I was able to then uh, get my brothers and I a um, um, milkshakes and chocolate bars and stuff like that, which we couldn't normally wouldn't have. And then I was able to buy cigarettes instead of stealing them. So I didn't get a criminal record. <laughs> okay, so then we moved when I was 10. And then uh, my next business was uh, creating the largest paper route in the city. And then at times I'd have one or two people actually working for me because it was so large. Um, and then from then on, I uh, took part-time jobs to pay for school and stuff. But, but one of the part-time jobs that I um, took was uh, to help a charity dealing with very, very aggressive kids and stuff. So that was really interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So when I uh, left university, um, I took a job at a charity and um, um, it was clear to me that uh, in doing that, um, if I was going to really have influence to stay down at a lower level in an organization, wasn't going to get what I wanted to accomplish. So then I left that and went uh, back to school and got a master's degree and then taught uh, at a university for a year. And then after that, um, I took my first uh, senior management job in a charity. Mm -hmm. uh, so I was progressing um, and uh, looking to accomplish, but it was still, you're still working with, uh, for someone else. Mm -hmm. And um, uh, so I, I fixed that organization and then I developed the skill set that one of the skills that I had was going into failing organizations and turning them around. And so I decided that the best way for me to accomplish all that was to be a chief executive. So then uh, after a few years and about six years or so in this particular organization, I started to apply for jobs and I uh, got a, a job. And to a certain extent, uh, I became a turnaround person. So I stay for at least five years, sometimes 10, uh, because, you know, when you start to go in and fix up something, you, you fix it up, but you always make mistakes. So you fix those up and stuff. Um, so then uh, and I was able to accomplish that as a, chief executive, a lot of what I like to do. So I was able to not only fix the organization up, but also create whole new ways of delivering service. Um, and uh, I was amongst the first in the 80s to develop uh, social enterprises as part of a charity's service, which is really unusual and didn't make me very popular with my peer group because no one was doing that. Um, and then I even franchised one of them. Um, so uh, it allowed me to be a catalyst to create uh, and to um, uh, fix at the same time. So does that answer your question? Absolutely. Yes, yes. And so thinking about that problem solving as one of the key attributes of, of leadership, do you think there are characteristics such as being able to problem solve and go in and fix things, as you, you say, that are key characteristics to a good leader? Well, some, some people like to do what I do and some don't. Um, and it doesn't mean that uh, uh, I think there's different types of leaders. Mm -hmm. So an organization um, uh, needs someone to run it to uh, have it succeed, et cetera. 
And sometimes people like me like to be disruptive and uh, catalytic and entrepreneurial, whatever mm -hmm. you want to use. So I don't think there's any one one way. No. I think that there's some key things that are really important. And uh, one of them is um, moving beyond knowledge to wisdom and being confident in the wisdom that you have and that applies it. Um, and to uh, be able to balance intuition with logic. And uh, I think those are our keys. Uh, constantly learning, mm -hmm. um, being accountable, getting people involved in what you're doing, taking calculated risks, but being strategic. Uh, also, uh, to listen and to, be, I think, be open to people keeping you in line. So the staff I work mm -hmm. with, they're free to, you know, we get into conversations about stuff. They don't have to worry about me coming down on them or anything like that. Yeah. Um, but it, it's sort of, um, it's sort of being a, a collegiate. I mean, ultimately you have to make decisions, but hopefully um, you can work within a consensus approach to, to achieving that. Yeah, absolutely. So those would just be some, oh, yes, one other, passion for the cause. Yeah. Absolutely. You, I think you really have to have passion for the cause and, uh, uh, and, and that kind of thing. And also, you're going to make mistakes. Uh, I mean, no one's perfect. And so it's to acknowledge those mistakes and learn from them and grow from them. Some of us are slow growers. Some of us are faster growers. And it depends on the time of the year, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. And so that leadership style that you've developed, was that born of, of some kind of experience or a piece of advice that someone gave you earlier on in your career or was it quite an organic development? Gosh, that's really hard to answer. I think it was just a, a lot of practicing, a lot of doing, a lot of learning. Yeah. Um, people would contribute in a variety of different ways. So I was very lucky because I came from a, a relatively poor background in Canadian terms, I'm not talking about Afghanistan, but in Canadian terms. Uh -huh. And um, I've always had mentors who have informally, I didn't ask for them, but just who informally um, supported me in, in different ways. Um, um, and sometimes you really don't know about until it's after, because sometimes it's indirect, sometimes it's direct and stuff. So I think a big part of that. Um, is, is dealing with that, yeah. Mm -hmm. I think sometimes when you've got those unofficial mentors, sometimes it takes you that little bit of time to take a step back and reflect on what they've said, and then it sort of settles, and then you can start applying that kind of advice. Yeah, but it's also recognising that I'm not perfect. Mm. Um, and um, as much as I would like to be, I'm not. And so there are issues that you have to deal with in your life and stuff, yeah. and things that you carry from the past and into the future and stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, fantastic. And so is there advice that you would offer to someone that's looking to follow in your footsteps? So either they're just about to take a step up into a leadership role or they're, you know, they're wanting to, to get started in their career and see the chief exec seat as, as the pinnacle of their career? I think they should just go for it. You, you might stumble. I mean, I've stumbled. I've made <laughs> mistakes and stuff. Um, but um, um, keep in mind, it's like dating. It's not a one-night stand, but it's a, developing a long-term relationship yeah, um, and stuff. You might have multiple relationships over time. So serial 
serial monogamy because you you're executive of a number of different charities and stuff over time. But uh-huh. I think that if someone's going to um, move into a, a senior management and chief executive position, I think they have an obligation of leadership. And for me, that means um, um, understanding uh, and challenging the strategy and means encouraging others that you're working with to understand and challenge the strategy and, and to make both, move both forward um, and uh, to encourage learning and development and growth. And um, um, I always, uh, always uh, it concerns me sometimes when uh, people um, who have decided to leave the organization and when uh, people get all upset, management gets upset that they do that. I, I think that it's good if a person's moving on and developing the stuff, you should encourage that and support it. Um, and it's um, uh, important uh, as a leader to encourage growth and opportunities, take advantage of opportunities um, and to stay engaged because you're going to go through difficult times and there'll be times when you feel like, oh, do I need this and stuff? But really it's just to stay engaged and work your way through it. Yeah, absolutely. And that goes back to what you were saying before about being passionate about the cause because those bad times that we've all probably been through in the last 18 months, yeah. it's easy to weather the storms if you're passionate about is there a leader past or present that you particularly admire or identify with? Well, I've met a lot of leaders and there's always uh, neat things to learn from them. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I remember um, uh, I was coming home uh, from a uh, football game and it was early evening and um, my mother was a campaign manager for liberals and they'd had a by-election and, and uh, uh, so she was really happy about the results they won. And so um, at that point, we lived in the suburbs and we had a playroom. Was, the base was converted into a playroom. Uh, so she had had people over. So I got home from the football game and I walked into the kitchen and there's all these this food and cold cuts and stuff all over the kitchen table and stuff. So I thought, hmm, that's okay. So I sat down. Uh, uh, just as I was about to start, then she um, uh, came up and said, no, 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 they're all for the guests. You can't have any. And just as she finished that, the prime minister came up the stairs and she was surprised me. And he said, he saw it. So he sat down. So the two of us sort of went at it together. I mean, uh, that kind of informality and, and uh, not having uh, airs and stuff is, is really neat. So I admired that in him. He also won the Nobel Peace Prize uh, uh, for stuff. Um um, in other cases, um, I was lucky at one point to meet uh, Pierre Trudeau on a couple of occasions. Mm-hmm. And he's brilliant, brilliant, brilliant person uh, in terms of his intellect and stuff. So it was really interesting conversation. Mm-hmm. He did do a few things that I thought uh, in his past before I met him that I didn't appreciate, like bringing in the War Measures Act. So he had flaws. Um, but also you can admire some of the stuff. I'm sorry, I'm just using Canadian examples. But for me... Is there a book that you would recommend, either that you're reading right now or that's been influential to you in the past? Well, yeah, there's there's a, a number of books, but there's one in particular I wouldn't mind mentioning. We're doing a, a, a sessions and events and stuff around racial equity and gender equity and stuff like that. Mm. And there's a lot of organizations that are doing... Um, training around this for their boards and staff and things. 
Uh-huh. I think that uh, a book that I've just finished reading, uh, what it does is it takes it beyond uh, the um, um, uh, consultant speak to actually dealing with what people are going through and understanding that. And without without that, how do you get a complete understanding of of what people are going through so that you actually could feel it a bit. You never feel it exactly because of course you're not in their shoes. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's a book that came out recently called um, Just Us, an American conversation by Claudia Rankin. And she is um, uh, an academic from one of the big schools, uh, well off, I would assume upper middle class. um, And she's black. And uh, she talks about her experiences, everyday experiences. Mm -hmm. And it really helps one to understand who doesn't have that quite the same experiences, what a person is going through. And I think having that emotional connection to a certain extent, or at least understanding Mm -hmm. that it's just not a rational, logical thing, but people face this every day, I think is really important. So I just wanted to share that is one really um, very impressive uh, a, a book on something that is relatively simple but um, terrible um, as well in the terms of how people are treated. Yeah, I just thought that having that whole side is really good. Um, yeah. Does that make sense to you? It does. It's Claudia Rankin, you said. R a n k i n e. Okay. Uh, and it's, the title is Just Us, an American Conversation. And and so what's next over the next six, nine, 12 months for Philanthropy Impact? Well, we're acting as a catalyst. Because mm-hmm. we're cause neutral, we can bring different groups together to achieve something and they know we're not doing it for we, for, for what we get out of it. Mm-hmm. So we're, we're doing things like um, we brought together, uh, since the uh, COVID, there's been a lot of data, uh, data systems set up to connect wealthy people with uh, places where they can make donations. Mm-hmm. But there's several of these. And so we brought them together to see how, um, uh, uh, what kind of things they could do to increase their efficiency and effectiveness. They're not going to merge because they're, you know, they're uh, doing slightly different things, but some of them are commercial, some of them are not for profit. So there's that. So we act as a catalyst. Yeah. Um, we are, um, uh, we've uh, launched launched new training programs. Um, uh, so there's one for wealth advisors. Um, right now, if you go to a wealth advisor to decide how you're going to manage your money, mm-hmm. under the current uh, regulations, the wealth advisor has to talk to you about your current finances, your uh, risk levels, etc. We think there should be another side to that. Um, and so um, um, we are uh, looking at the whole issue of how, oh, sorry, we're not experts in the product that people buy. We're experts in helping people talk to each other. And so we think that, that they should be talking to their clients about their values, their motivations, their ambitions, mm-hmm. uh, their, and then how they turn that into goals and vision and goals. And then um how they contextualize that within the uh, 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 social development goals 
and then ultimately choosing what way they want to go. It could be philanthropy, could be impact investing, could be bulls or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so having those conversations with clients um, is not an easy thing to do. And so we, we um, uh, the training is all around dealing with that. It's called suitability. So we're launching something like that because we're, as I said, we're trying to change the culture and the behavior of the advisory marketplace. So they focus more on uh, issues, societal issues, environmental issues, et cetera, et cetera, as part of their discussions with their clients and with their families. Um, we're um, reinforcing the whole role of uh, millennials and women of wealth, wealthy millennials, wealthy women of wealth. Mm -hmm. I mean, women of wealth now control around 50% of liquid assets in the U.S., um, and it's expected a couple of generations, it'll be 70%. And their whole approach to advisors, like millennials' approach to advisors, is really quite different. And for them, the whole value thing's important. Um, having impact uh, is important and that kind of thing. So we're trying to support um, the growth of that and helping them to achieve what they're doing. Um, we, we're going to have a new accreditation program. We're developing directory. Um uh, just a whole bunch of things. So we're trying to not just keep doing what we're doing, but also to constantly create and, and to grow. I think there's going to be issues in the long term about all this. And of course, there's always financial issues, et cetera. So we're addressing all of that. Fantastic. Fantastic. And so if there are people that are listening to this that want to, to get in touch with Philanthropy Impacts, it's just a case of finding the website or your LinkedIn yeah. page. Yeah, find find the website, or or they can email me or whatever. I'm happy to talk to anyone around about this stuff. I answered all your questions. You have absolutely answered all my questions. Thank you for that, John. It's been a pleasure 